I always wondered if it would be easier for me to to hold polyamory, to, to be more at ease with it if I had another partner. But this breakup is actually what helped me really see the difference between possessive love or, or territorial love and deep, kind, I, I can't even name it. It's another form of love that's, that's deeper and, and more gentle and more kind. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're celebrating metamors, the partners of our partners. How we relate to a person who's in a romantic or a sexual relationship with one of our partners is something that we really don't have a cultural script for. For many people outside of polyamory or new to non-monogamy, the metamor relationship is one of the most baffling and sometimes terrifying concepts to understand. In recognition of how important the metamor relationship is to the happiness and well-being of everyone involved, I have wanted to make metamor march into something that we can all do each year. After Valentine's Day, where we're focused on romantic partners, why not take some time to be intentional and to put some thought into the relationships we have with the people who also care about our loved ones? While We've talked about metamors many times on this show. The three of us can only share our own personal experiences. So, to help us give you a broader range of real-life, positive experiences, I interviewed several of our patrons, asking them to share their metamor stories to hopefully offer some perspective and encouragement to those of you out there who might be more apprehensive, who might be struggling, or who are just interested in hearing what metamors are like for other people. We're going to start off this episode with some uplifting stories of people who've ended up forming these really close relationships with their metamors, so much so that some of them even talked about not really feeling like the term metamor does it justice, because it really is its own relationship. So the first of those is two people who I interviewed together. This is Friday and Kenzie talking about their relationship with each other. I feel like my relationship with Kenzie, not to be sappy at you, is more, it has a lot of its own value that's super important to me. And I feel like almost calling it a metamor relationship feels like a devaluing of the friendship and connection and relationship we have because we're not defined by our shared partner. And I don't know, it feels almost like a queer platonic relationship in that I really value like Kenzie's opinion on stuff and feel very like cared for in it. You should let yourself have room to grow into those relationships and not feel like you're bound by, oh, we have a shared partner. So that's it. I I agree. Our relationship is way more meaningful than just a metamorph relationship. I text you more than Ken. (laughs) I just want to talk about the word metamor and this idea that perhaps there's like more of a negative connotation with it, which is something that Kenzie and Friday talked about, that it is this otherness from the word friendship. And while, I don't know, I, I think of 
polyamory, that you can have friendships with your metamors and that they can be really intense and meaningful. Yeah, just as that friendship and queer platonic friendship is really something that they feel more than just the word metamor. And that's really fascinating to me. Does that word mean something different to the two of you? As you're saying that, it does strike me that this word showed up, was created to fit an experience, right? Where there wasn't quite a label for it. But the reason why there wasn't a label for it is because I think it probably came from a sense of, oh, the person that my partner's dating, they're not my friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're not starting out as my friend or my acquaintance or things like that. Uh, but they're also not necessarily my enemy. And so mm-hmm. we need to kind of create this term in the in-between. And I do think that that is interesting because metamor, the term itself, doesn't tell you that much about the actual quality of the relationship. You know, you could be metamor acquaintances, you could be metamors who've never spoken to each other, you could be metamors who are best friends and business partners, you know, so (laughs) many things. I think that the closest thing is always in-laws. To me, that's always the the best possible analogy for a metamor, where it's this term where an in-law could be like, oh, the in-laws, am I right? Or it could be like, hey, this is my brother-in-law, we're starting a business together, or something like that. Mm -hmm. That it's that relationship varies how positive or negative it is. And so I think with Metamor, it is interesting, though, to say, yeah, we fit the label of friend and we fit the label of Metamor. Which is the one that really fits for us, though? Like, Which one do we feel is most descriptive of our relationship rather than the other way around being, oh, well, if we're a Metamor, we have to call it that. The second two Metamors that I had here was Melissa and Ellen. And they sort of expressed a similar sentiment, which I thought was cool. I think about our relationship as the surprise gift of 2020, which was such a horrible year in so many ways. Should I mention our first contact? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa and I matched on OkCupid some time ago. And we had one of those chats where it seemed like everything could go really exciting and then it stopped. And for many years, I thought it was my fault and Melissa thought it was her fault. But it was just that our circles had crossed too much and we were uncomfortable. So we we stopped talking. And so then fast forward two years and I matched with our partner on OkCupid and started talking and got along, met in person. He resisted us meeting at first. But yeah, we weren't really down with that. I think for us, it was meeting was a good thing. We saw it as a good thing, wanting to know who this other person was and get to know them rather than fears or projections. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to be jealous of of someone you've met. Yeah. That's lovely. So one thing that I really wanted to do in this episode was to give our listeners kind of a variety of experiences that people have had with their metamors and how they can be really positive. But I think it would be not accurate to portray all these fairy tale stories of we clicked instantly and we got along. And while that happens sometimes, and actually a lot of the people I interviewed had that experience, I also wanted us to look at some people's stories of where it didn't start out as good but it ended up being something very positive. The first of these is Candace talking about her experience with a metamor who had mostly had bad experiences before her. She had some bad experiences in the past, so it took a while before she was willing to do more than just be friendly. In the beginning, it was, okay, we'll play Mario Kart together, or I'll go to things and events that our mutual partner is going to with you as a group thing. 
because I want to be with him and I'm okay with you being there. It would take, I'd say, six months before she realized, okay, you're not just being nice to me so you can be mean to me later or screw me over. She was working multiple jobs, so it was really difficult for her to spend quality time with our mutual partner. So I reached out and was like, you know, if you get an unexpected day off and it's a day that I would normally have plans with our partner, reach out to me. Let me know if I don't have any serious concrete plans with him. I'm happy to to exchange days with you, let you have some time with him because I know that he wants to see you. Something that I really like about this whole scenario here is that one metamorph is changing the narrative on what metamorphs can be for the other person. Mm. That's quite lovely. I, I know that in past relationships, I've been into a new relationship and thought, even if it was just subconsciously, that it was going to be identical in many ways to the past relationship. And I think that's true with metamorphs as well, that if you did have a really shitty experience with someone, then maybe that means that's just how this goes. Everyone's going to be an asshole in some respect. And nobody is going to communicate as well as they should. And so this is really lovely. It sounds like this person changed the narrative for their metamor on what metamors can be to each other. I feel like I absolutely had that kind of experience early on of learning that I need to be on guard about metamors. That's <laughs> definitely taken a lot of time to unlearn and find other ways to approach things. And part of that, I think, is just from being more confident in my relationships and who I am as a polyamorous person, I think that also has affected it. But that's not something you can just jump to right away. And I think this is a cool example of how maybe someone who was a little more comfortable was able to reach out to their metamor and kind of help them to learn there's another way this could go, like you were saying, Emily. Yeah, I guess it's striking me that like my partner Alex never had a metamor before Jace. Right. I forget about that. So he's yeah, only had good experiences. He's only had, I guess, at least non-destructive experiences. <laughs> I feel like I oh, need nice. to ask him about that, about what his perceptions of what a metamor would be before that experience. This is from Jack talking about having a more challenging start to a metamor relationship and then that turning into something more positive. So she was, I don't know what you call them, but meta-metamor. She was the partner of my metamor. And I was actually terrified to meet her at first because she was having this big fight with Ashley and all I had heard was negative things about her. So I met her at Pride in 2019 and I remember just being so afraid of her and what her reactions to me might be and if she was going to be a nice person and all this stuff. So if I'm going to make a really long story short, she's now my partner and yeah, we basically practiced kitchen table poly from the beginning. And during COVID, we all ended up living together during the first eight months or so of COVID. Well, so it's interesting that Jack talked about your meta metamore or like your, what, the partner of your metamore. And I think there is a slowly burgeoning term for that that I've seen dropped in a couple of really? places. Yes. And I think it's, oh gosh, I think it's something like a tetramore or Whoa. something like that. Like <laughs> it's, I don't know if that's accurate, but I am starting to see a little bit of that vocabulary showing up. I don't know if it's going to catch on or not. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the polyamorous community is relatively small, depending on which area you're in. Los Angeles is going to be fairly large, for example, but if you're, I don't know, in Jackson, Mississippi, potentially it's going to be smaller. So having a meta metamor or a tetramor 
it feels as though you're eventually going to come across this person. So even though Jack had heard not great stuff about this Tetramore, <laughs> so I appreciate that they made their own decisions, and ultimately it was a good thing. Yeah. And now here's Melissa telling a story of how she was able to generate compassion for her partner to get past a potentially challenging beginning to a metamorph relationship. And so when he and Ellen matched, we actually weren't fully open. And so that was a bit of a challenging start where he, he and Ellen had met before through a festival we're all involved in. And so they were just chatting as friends, but I discovered the messages. And yeah, it was just not probably the best start, but I recognised he'd found it so hard for so many years to find nice ongoing connections with people as I had, and I really wanted him to have that, and I could really see the potential with the two of them, their compatibilities, and yeah, it was really worth working through those issues and supporting their connection. It would be understandable in this situation for her to just instantly write this other person off as being bad or trying to stop that relationship, but she didn't, and Melissa and Ellen ended up becoming very close friends after that. But sometimes it doesn't happen immediately that you can overcome differences and connect with a metamorph. It's not entirely in your control. And as we've seen, sometimes those challenges don't just come from the metamorph themselves, but from communication failures or mismatched expectations or triangulation of communication. So here is a two-part story from Bex that deals with some of those challenges. His long-distance partner in Colorado had never done polyamory before, was very much not seeing polyamory as what they were doing so much. Yes, she was actively was there, but like trying to disengage with the topic as much as possible. And it helped to pretend I didn't exist. And then we tried to establish a friendship and that went horribly awry and involved a lot of like triangulation of communication issues and Robert talking to all of us about the other relationships because there was some difficulties going on and then talking to one person and then they would go and share with the other partner. The long distance partner in Colorado would go and share with the partner in California who could share with her stuff. And then they both decided one weekend that I was the problem in the relationship. So that was a whole situation that came to a head. And so lots of issues for a while. And so we ended up breaking up for a time. Yeah, this seems like very much an object lesson in some of the dangers of like both brokering relationships between metamors as well as just the telephone game and having unclear senses of what are our boundaries around disclosure and processing other relationships with other partners who are not in that actual relationship. But it seems like that stuff gets really out of hand quite quickly. I was struck by when they were talking about the person in a different state, I think, who didn't want to have anything to do with polyamory in general. And just that idea of having a, a metamorph that is not interested in the lifestyle at all that, that that's challenging, but it definitely happens. We've definitely all been there where we've had people that are testing the waters but really aren't invested or committed, and how challenging that can be. Because really, ultimately, is the partner going to decide we want to be monogamous now, or do they decide, hey, I actually, this is part of my identity and I want to 
So when we started dating again, it was really casual. I dropped a lot of the expectations of how are we escalating? How are we doing the things? And so I had been able to divest quite a bit from that. And so that took some of that out. The fact that we started at a very casual place and rebuilt slowly from there was really helpful. At that point, his and Kat's relationship was more of an established relationship. But I wasn't invested in trying to force a relationship there. Last time we tried to make a relationship happen and it was terrible and everything was awful. So I'm not going to try and force that relationship. And so I hadn't really met Kat at that point, hardly at all. And so once I started coming over to the house, it was like meeting her occasionally. And then we'd all hang out together. And then over time, that sort of built. We have a lot of similar interests of like nerd culture, but also musicals and stuff like that. And so we built uh, a friendship off of that. And then I also invited her to come shop my closet, which is a thing I do with other people who are vaguely my size. It's not something that as fat folks, we often get to do because a lot of people, A, who are fat don't have huge wardrobes. B, it's less common to have larger groups of fat friends. Um, So I gave her like a whole new wardrobe of dresses. And that was a fun afternoon and like really built a lot of a rapport between the two of us. I thought it was interesting that taking a break for a while from that relationship and coming back, while I don't think anyone wants to do that, that's not like, oh, this is a great way to solve this problem. But that in this situation, it did add this perspective or maybe a fresh start to be able to go into that metamore relationship. Yeah, I I think it's a a hard experience. I, I can also speak from personal experience with this one that, yeah, it's hard to have a metamor who is really on the fence about non-monogamy because I know for me, it often feels like, oh, there's a certain degree of unpredictability here mm-hmm. that feels like could potentially lead to either some drama or just some disruption or upheaval. So I know for me, that's definitely a very challenging and uncomfortable experience. Another interesting thing that came up in a few different interviews was this phenomenon of being a metamor with someone more than once. And maybe this is just because the polyamorous community is really not that large when it comes down to it, but these stories of either being someone's metamor, staying in touch or not, and then ending up as their metamor again in the future, or being a metamor and going through a breakup, but still maintaining that friendship with the metamor. But these were all themes that I definitely saw come up a number of times. So this story from David, I really liked because it talks about exactly that, about maintaining a friendship throughout breakups as well as multiple relationships. In 2017, I was dating someone uh, who's uh, fairly well known in the kink community here and met her other partner, Rin. Rin and I were at events together. I invited both of them to come to parties that I had at my house. I always enjoyed talking to Rin. She and I had a lot in common. So the other, the partner broke up with me first and then with Rin about a year after that. And we remained friends. I invited her to parties still. And I might say these parties were always interesting because it was a mixture of kink friends, poly friends, partners, people from my church. So, 
you never knew what was going to happen in the conversation. My partner, Betsy, had mentioned to me at one point, she thought Ren was really interesting. And so I had a socially distanced outdoor birthday party this past year at my partner Anne's house. And Ren and Betsy both came and had a long conversation and started dating. So Ren is now my metamore again through Betsy. And we still hang out some and, and have lots in common. I thought that was a really touching story of how metamores can support each other through a breakup with that mutual partner in a case like this, where they both broke up at the same time, but then could also stay in each other's lives and potentially become metamores again in the future. That's yeah, really cool. Th- that's interesting. I feel like I, I see that surprisingly often. It's not the most common situation, but sometimes it seems like this is just something that happens where it's like someone, the hinge partner goes like the nuclear option it's just, I'm going to break mm. up with everybody or with at least multiple people at once, or I'm going to break up with all the rest of my partners to be monogamous with this one partner. And of course, that's a crappy situation that often has a lot of pain attached to it. But it is one of those things where it's, if you have a decent metamorph relationship, you can be support for each other to a certain extent and getting through that. Yeah. yeah Let me tell really you, y'all who listen to this podcast know that it's really helpful in my experience to have Emily, you know, we've had a partner, multiple partners in common in the past. Uh-huh. And sometimes it is really nice to be able to like piece things together, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> or vent about things. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. Blah, blah, did that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that sucked so bad. He did that to you too. Dang. Yeah. Not talking about Jace, but someone else. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It just shared experience, I think, is incredibly important with people and it allows each other to look back on something and yeah like you said piece it back together a little bit especially if you're wondering why did this person do something or why did this person act this way and to hear how they were with the other partner and perhaps more of the story of what was going on it's cool it means a lot all right so i have a couple more stories here about the same kind of thing of actually staying friends through not being metamors anymore in different configurations. So the first of these is Jack again. I started out dating Ashley and I'm so in love with her. And I was really nervous about meeting her metamor or my metamor, her partner named Aiden. And I had heard that he's just the most amazing partner and the most amazing person and super smart and super kind and loyal. And, and so I was just nervous about meeting this perfect sounding person and that I would never measure up to him. And so when I met him, I was actually like, wow, I really like this person. <laughs> we got to know each other really well as metamors and bonded over our love for Ashley and and then actually the day after Ashley and I broke up, which was this really horrific thing for me, he came over and even though they were still fully dating, he was my main support system that week. And he helped me just vent and really just help me feel supported during that time. And so that's the beginning of the story with him. <laughs> um, wow, that's really cool. It, it just it, a relationship that so many people would never, ever get to have with another human being. 
that literally like one partner breaks up and has a really tough time. And so the metamorph comes over and is able to console them and help them through it. Just when does that happen? That's so unique. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, because I wouldn't necessarily say that that should happen in all metamorph situations. You know, sure. I think there's plenty of situations where your metamorph would not be appropriate to be the person who is your support system. But I think this does bring us back to the beginning about that sometimes the actual relationship transcends what the label of metamorph is. Mm-hmm. You know, that clearly there was something here, there was more of a connection here that wasn't just about our shared partner, because once we no longer shared a partner, we were still able to find that connection as a source of strength. This last one in this theme is Jennifer and Tammy, who I interviewed together. So these two are are metamors with each other. And this was a situation where there was, they both ended up breaking up with this same partner or the same partner broke up with them. I'm actually not sure the order of it, but there was this intervening gap in the middle where only one of them was still with that mutual partner before they broke up. So this kind of covers both scenarios in a way. It was, there was awkward moments, obviously, especially in that transition time where I was not with our mutual, but she was. There was still that kind of, that level of connection that we had that made it possible for us to say, if we were talking about something awkward, I always felt like Tammy gave me room to say, I'm not super great talking about this. Maybe we can talk about something else. She was able to not only validate me, but also just make me feel like I wasn't wrong for feeling the way that I did, which was super helpful. And I've actually learned a lot from her in being able to do that. Even though like the other was like a little chunk of funky kind of transitioning where I was still dating the ex and she had ended and I was still trying to figure out like where I was with everything. She was still there for me, um, still very respectful and supportive and everything. And then after I chose to end my relationship, it it wasn't a situation where, oh, we're both done dating this person. And so we just don't have any ties together or anything like that. I mean, we were able to be there for each other through the healing process and just all of that transitioning and everything. But still, we still chose to continue our friendship and strengthen our friendship and just put time and effort into that and everything, which... I think is really wonderful. And I'm really glad that I've got this friendship, this awesomeness from my ex-partner there. That's so cool. Just like the the dyads that happen all over the place, regardless of what type of relationship configuration it is. And the fact that two people who entered into a partnership, a relationship with each other, just by merit of having the same partner, that that is strong enough that it continues even after that partner is no longer in the picture. That's so cool. Yeah, it's funny, actually, in my interview with Friday and Kenzie, they talked about how they told another one of their metamors that they were going to do this interview with me about being metamors. And their mutual other metamor was like, wait, 
you two are metamorphs? Who's your shared partner? <laughs> they were like, it's your partner, the one that we all date. And it was just a thing of their friendship was first and foremost in their mind that it yeah. just didn't even occur. I just thought that was such a cool extreme of that. I was also having this kind of funny image of like a taking the like unicorn hunting couple, but turning it on its head a little bit. This idea of you have two people who are metamors trying to find someone to, to together. To be their new mutual partner. <laughs> to be their new mutual partner. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're not in a relationship together, but we just work really well as metamors. And so, so we're on the hunt. Well, one of you. Yeah. Will you date? Will someone both date of us? both of us? <laughs> yeah. But not together. Just like. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like separately. Yeah. Yeah. There yes. are no threesomes you're going to get here, but you will take both of us and we're But good you will metamors. get some good metamor cooperation <laughs> exactly. and relationshiping. <laughs> yeah. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So this next one is from an interview I did with Greg talking about his metamor experience. And this is an interesting one that also went from being metamors to being friends, but not in the same sort of way. This is my first polyamory relationship. I tend to be a little competitive, and I knew some of this other guy's strengths, which of course went right to the heart of my uh, self-confidence. It was like, oh... I'll never be as blah, blah, blah as him. So, of course, that was the thing I was the most jealous of, the things that I couldn't tolerate. And this year, my metamor decided he needed to get out of the relationship. And so this came just at a time when my partner and I were starting to open up our relationship with me dating. And I always wondered if it would be easier for me to 
to hold polyamory, to, to be more at ease with it if I had another partner. But this breakup is actually what helped me really see the difference between possessive love or, or territorial love and deep, kind, I, I can't even name it. It's another form of love that's, that's deeper and, and more gentle and more kind. He and I ended up spending a lot of time on the phone. He had tons of insights about our mutual partner that I didn't have, and I had tons of insights that, you know, that he didn't have. This breakup has actually helped my metamor and me, my, I guess he's my ex-metamor now, and me become far closer. And uh, we're just speaking way more honestly. Lots more truths are coming out in, in really beautiful ways. And I think, I think the words, I love you, might have been pronounced by me at one point. I think the main takeaway is just the fact that these two people who were metamors and started off in this competitive way became really close, like to a point where you say, I love you to this person. I, I don't know if I would say I love you to every single acquaintance that I have. So that just shows the gravity of what this relationship became to these two people. It's really cool. I'm I'm very impressed with the change there. Yeah, I think that the sort of interesting irony of it is that he started out that relationship with their mutual partner feeling competitive and jealous and not comfortable with that. And then over the years that they were together, he told me that he worked on some of that a little bit, but it wasn't until... I guess getting what he thought that he wanted at the very beginning that he kind of realized what it was that he had and was actually very sad to be missing that that relationship mm. and having that metamor around. Mm. And now on the opposite end of the extremes here, we have, you know, feeling competitive and jealous there to Friday and Kenzie's story when Friday started dating one of Kenzie's partners. I feel like it wasn't even a thing that I started dating Ken. Yeah. Like, well, it I, started it started slowly, right? Like it was just like a hookup thing for a while. Yeah, we like went to that one, went to that kink party thing, and at the what's it called Citadel. Yeah. And then you yeah, invited me to that. Invited you and Caitlin, so it accidentally ended up being a date between me and Ken. A good first date to go to the kink party. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then we like, and then just evolved. Yeah, from that because we did live far away, and maybe it is because both of us were like two hours from Ken that it didn't seem as it wasn't very like intrusive. I think on our relationship, no, if anything, it was like almost a relief for me because I was so busy with grad school stuff, and like my sex drive was lower, and I felt bad that I couldn't drive out to Santa Rosa as often as we would have. We used to see each other before Ken moved. And I felt guilty about that and knowing that, you know, Ken had someone else keeping them busy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, was, it also did make me a little self-conscious. I never talked to you about this because it didn't really matter because for the same reasons you were more available than I was. Right. Yeah. So it was like there were multiple sides to that, but it never caused an issue between us. It's funny. It reminds me of the first time I ever read The Ethical Slut. And I think that they had an anecdote in there talking about this phenomenon of some people actually being quite relieved 
that <laughs> there's someone else picking up the emotional labor, someone else picking up the blowjob labor. Their words, not mine. And I remember at the time that just blowing my mind, be like, I can't even imagine being in a mind state where I'd be relieved until I was actually in that mind state where I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can have some time to myself. Oh, thank God. Like, I'm not the only soul source of support or whatever it is. We all have a mutual friend who's very into having kind of comet relationships or secondary relationships, but really enjoys having someone else be the primary. And mm. that's really fascinating to me because, yeah, it, he's just very, I think, solo poly minded. Hey, like I am happy and comfortable living alone and being, you know, one with myself and having these great relationships, but not needing them to be primary and that's really cool for some people and then next this is another story about someone becoming close to a metamor after a, a bad event i guess you could call it that i, I don't want to classify breakups all as bad events a kind of more serious event and this is a different take on that that i hadn't quite heard before when i met my partner Anne in early 2017 i also met her other partner ray and I liked Ray, but he was just a not terribly connected metamor. At one point, he messed up on our STI protocols, and he's very conscientious, even though he sometimes does impulsive things. And so as part of cleaning that up, he agreed that he and I would meet monthly to have lunch or just to talk, and he'd disclose what he was doing so that he could be transparent to us. And those meetings turned into longer conversations and getting interested. And I had had physical connections with men before, but I'd never really had an emotional connection with a man. And I was curious to see in what way that might be different. Ray and I really consciously chose to begin dating. And up until COVID, we're seeing each other, oh, roughly every couple of weeks. We have four actual relationships. There's the triad of he, Anne, and I, and we have been together as a triad at events. And then he and I, and Anne and I, and he and Anne. So each of those four relationships has its own quality. It's really interesting to see the differences in them. Anyone like listening to this from outside of this community is going to think it's just like a slippery slope to like dating your metamor. But I think in reality, it's maybe not as much of a slippery slope, but it is funny that that, that is a I mean, recurring it happens. theme. It happens. It definitely happens. Yeah. It, yeah. That occurred to people. We were dating two separate yeah, people. Yeah. And then, I know. I know. Been there, been there, done that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what I appreciate, I actually really appreciate this kind of solution of there was a uh, push against boundaries or a slip up that happened. And the way that we bring that back into integrity is like we open the channel of communication with each other to just be closer to each other, essentially, and more transparent, which I think feels counterintuitive to a lot of people. I do think that as much as I love boundaries and our generation's obsession with boundaries, sometimes I think that it does lead some of us to be a little hyper boundaried. And so I could very easily see the situation of being like, oh, this person slipped up. Okay, then I'm just going to cut them out. Don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. That's I'm going to protect myself. And yeah, that can be appropriate and healthy in certain situations. But I really appreciated that in this situation. It was like, no, we're going to lean in actually to, mm -hmm. to connect with each other and really open that channel of communication. Another scenario that we haven't really covered yet 
is becoming a metamorph with someone that you already live with. So rather than a metamorph moving in, what happens when a roommate becomes a metamorph? So this is Lindsay to talk about her experience with that. We, we actually had two other roommates at that point. So one of the dudes was my bandmate at the time. One of them was uh, a guy living with somebody who my partner had dated at one point. So we all had these sort of like vague threads together. So he was just kind of like one of the boys. And then he and my partner started spending more time together. And then they kissed. And then pretty much she like marched over to our our room. She's like, oh my gosh, I just kissed him. I, I, I don't know what this means, but I want to tell you. And probably like from an objective sense, like a, it, that's maybe not the easiest way to start a relationship with somebody you're already living with. We certainly talked about what happens if this goes badly. Like then does he move out? Does that complicate our financial situation? My partner and I have been together for 12 years at this point. She had a partner that lived with us before. I had a partner that lived with us before. So like it wasn't our first time at the rodeo. I think the really important part of that was actually having that conversation about what happens if this ends. And that's something that I think is a really important conversation to have for all kinds of relationships. It's not a conversation we're really encouraged to have to think about how does this work out if it ends. If you think about the first time you're moving in with a new partner for the first time, you know, no one wants to sit down and be like, okay, but real talk, we need to talk about how we're going to sort this out <laughs> if our relationship ends up going sour. But I think that having these kind of conversations up front can really help to save a lot of heartache and actually can be really reassuring to know that like we've thought about all the possible angles, at least as much as we possibly can. Yeah, especially if you're living with someone that if you own a house and having people come into it and, and live there, yeah, I think that's really important to have these types of conversations. Not necessarily rigid conversations that like they have to be this way, this is a rule, but just exploring the possibilities. That's really important. That's cool that they did that. Another theme that came up in these interviews that honestly I should have anticipated and just didn't even occur to me, the pandemic was a significant part of the story because it either affected how much people were able to be with their partners or their living situation or their employment situation. And there were these two different stories that I thought were interesting because they covered opposite sides of that thing where people end up all living together or are not able to see each other. And so this first one from Jack is about their group all moving in together and some of the sort of the challenges of that during the pandemic. At the beginning of COVID, there was a lockdown order. And I think we all just wanted to feel safe and held and getting through this together so because we had the the space to do so we we just joined into one house and it lasted we thought it would last two weeks and it lasted eight months oh there were challenges <laughs> um, for different reasons and just our complex relationships it was not perfect but it was I actually just moved out of that house a couple weeks ago and I just sat on my bedroom floor and just remembered all of the amazing memories that we had there together over the last year or so. And it was just this really beautiful time full of life and full of love. And yeah, there were complications, but we always got through it. 
That's such like a great example of people being able to be flexible in their living situation and that like a relationship doesn't need to end if you move out mm-hmm. or if you move in, it doesn't, you know, necessarily take it in a different direction. Clearly, there are some things that are going to be different because of the proximity, but that's really cool that they, this person that Jack was able to see it as this really beautiful time in their life, but that also it can still exist outside of that. The relationship can exist outside of that. Yeah, that they're all living separately now. I think two of the people who lived together are still living together, but all the rest have their own places and they're all so much happier having their own space. And I, I do love that. Like you said, Emily, that flexibility to move between the two different ways of living. And then now this is a story from Candace coming from the other side of that, of not being able to see partners because of the pandemic. For about six months, I didn't really see my our mutual partner. I didn't see her either. A couple of times they would come over and like stand at the end of the driveway and we would be like 10 feet apart and we'd see each other that way, but nothing else. And there were some virtual date nights and time with each other. I also organized our local poly group and we had to cancel all our meetups, all our events. And I'm an extrovert, so not having people to hang out with and things to go out and do is really hard on me. Now that we have all moved in together, it helps because I have three adults in the house with me other than myself. I have two partners and my meta, and at least I have somebody to hang out with and her and I can do things together and we can all play board games together or watch TV together and that kind of thing. So that helps. Yeah, it's impossible to be non-monogamous and not be okay with playing board games. (laughs) (laughs) And for some people, they've actually already been dealing with similar issues that now all of us are having to deal with even before that, like Lindsay told me about. Our baby, she had seizures when she was two days old. You know, we spent like a month in the NICU. She has epilepsy, so it's a genetic condition. So we we had been really concerned early on about making sure that anybody who was going to interact with the baby was vaccinated. So we had already been a little bit strict in terms of who we were, who we were spending time with, who was spending time with us as a family. So now we're doing the extreme version. My partner had been working and then she quit her job to eventually it's turned into her sort of being a a stay-at-home mom. My metamor lost his job. So I'm the only person who's working now. So certainly things look different than they did. But in some ways, like the the fact that we all get to spend so much time together in, in these formative times, I'm working not to the degree that I would have been working. So the fact that I don't have to do that and can be home with everybody has actually been something that I'm grateful for. It's just another example of so many things that can come up and how wonderful it is to have multiple people there. And I guess the silver linings of being having to be home all the time It's nice to be able to spend more time with those around us, especially in these extenuating circumstances like this. Yeah. Yeah. Just another period of time where our chosen families are even more important. Absolutely. And then I really enjoyed this next one with Ellen and Melissa, where they explained that during lockdown, they all separated from each other, had to isolate from each other, but that the two of them who are metamors, realized that for them, they could hang out together and not have to fight the urge to jump all over each other. And so that actually was a way for them to really build their friendship. 
So I stopped seeing Yarn at all because my sister's partner, who also moved in with us, is a nurse. And and that risk just seemed too much. And so Yarn and I had phone calls, but Melissa and I knew that we wouldn't have any trouble keeping the social distance. So we started going on walks together and that's how our friendship strengthened and really grew. So that was really lovely again, just getting to know each other, what our values were. Yeah, that each other isn't a threat. That was a really special part of that time because it was quite intense. It was really hard for me not to have any other connections. But yeah, it was really nice to be able to explore this other relationship. And yeah, so then after lockdown finished, Yep. Yeah, and that just continued naturally over the next six, nine months over the year. I wonder how many people are going to have these like really strengthened connections out of this whole time and what a lack of physical proximity will do to relationships, if those will be strengthened, if like they have to change because you're not allowed to see each other as close or you just have to speak instead of having sex or stuff like that. Yeah, it will certainly be interesting to see. There were so many great stories and so much great content in all these interviews, but unfortunately not all of them could make it into this episode. However, we are going to explore some of these a little bit more in our bonus episode for patrons. So to close out this episode, I asked our interviewees to share something that they've learned from their current Metamore experience in the hopes that we can all learn from each other. And it was really interesting getting to hear the different takeaways, what was similar and what was different in terms of what they've learned from having these positive experiences and what they will take into their future Metamore relationships. So to start us off with what we've learned is Paula, who has not been heard yet in this episode, but we will hear more of in that bonus episode for patrons. The thing I've learned is that what I want isn't always what the other people want. I want to have these really strong metamorph relationships that kind of stand alone, but that's not what everybody wants. Sometimes they don't want to be in contact with you and they don't want to have a relationship with you. And what I've learned from that is that's okay. You still should be respectful and kind. Yeah, I think... Probably something that we've learned is you you don't have to rush it. You don't have to just instantly become best friends with your metamor. I feel like maybe sometimes there's a pressure to do that because you want to be doing like the best version of Polly, like knowing not to take that personal, like just taking time to observe and maybe figuring out where the, the places are that you can align with this person where your interests can overlap. The most obvious one is I've learned the, the difference between this kind of early territorial love where I just want to be in a bubble with the other person. And then this bigger, more gentle love that I was able to have connecting with my metamor. The pivotal moment was an evening in bed with my partner. And it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to seduce him away from my metamor. And so I said to him, tell me why, tell me what it is you love about him. Tell me all the qualities about him that make you want to continue to be in a loving relationship with this man. And it, yeah, it changed everything for me. I think it's a lot of it's about treating it as a friendship first and like 
the metamor relationship second if you want to have if you want to have a friendship with a metamor the times i've had more negative metamor relationship is because it was very much all through the hinge partner facilitating the relationship the hinge partner is facilitating all the things and we can't talk freely with each other i think for me, I've had a, a couple of like shaky or uncomfortable metamor relationships. I think the biggest thing is when the hinge partner is nervous about the metamor relationship really gets too involved in it. That makes it just adds this whole dynamic that I just want to get to know this person as their own person. And we don't have to be like best friends, but just approaching any relationship. And when there's like too much, I think, anxiety or meddling, quote unquote, from the hinge partner, it adds this tension and stress, I think, on both sides. I think certainly something that had been a problem for me in other relationships was that, like, oh, I'm having a problem, and the only person I can talk to is with the partner that I'm having the problem with. I guess I made a pretty conscious choice that I think I need to have a a broader circle of friends, and that also has more depth to it, so that I, I have other places that I can be, I have other people that I can talk to, making sure that my life is and happy. He's not going to be my my go-to person for processing heavy emotional stuff because I just want to have other better avenues for that. Probably go in with with fewer nerves into that relationship and with kind of the expectation that I'm probably going to really like this person. You're not going to love your metamor 100% of the time, so be open to having differences with them, but also be open to having one of the best relationships of your life with them. We would like to give an extra special thank you to David, Tammy, Jennifer, Paula, Jack, David, Kenzie, Friday, Melissa, Ellen, Lindsay, Candice, Bex, and Greg for sharing your stories on this show. We really appreciate it. And we also really appreciate all of you listening out there, and we would love to hear your stories as well. On our Instagram, we would love for you to share your metamor stories as well, so that even more people can benefit from hearing other people's experiences, to know that we're not alone, and there are a lot of different ways these relationships can look. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. This episode was edited by me, Jace Lindgren, and Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.